This is the Agent Carter podcast on Defenders TV podcast. Season 1, Episode 7, Snafu. Welcome back, Defenders. This is Agent Carter on Defenders TV Podcast, and we are episode 27 of Defenders TV Podcast, where we will be looking at season one, episode seven, Snafu, Situation Normal, All Effed Up. Um, Absolutely. I am one of your podcast hosts, John. And I'm Derek. Yeah, great great to talk to you guys. Absolutely. Um, We are back with a big teary-eyed episode. Yeah, this had a big heroic and tragic ending, which was pretty emotional, I thought. Not definitely. Um, yeah. Pretty emotional. Almost as emotional as the reaction and fallout from Agent Krasminski's death, I, yeah. Think. Yeah, I think. If not more so. I think even more so, yeah. yeah. Really tough ending to the episode. Very tough. But uh, we're here, we're back, and um, <laughs> we are looking at all things Snafu, and hopefully... We won't have any technical snafus, as we, or Derek likes to call them on the show, <laughs> where we mess up with the editing or the technical aspects of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Just a little reference there to uh, to one of the comments we got during the week from uh, from our, one of our friends, Amy, who uh, was commenting on the fact that she hoped we knew what the word snafu means. Um, if for long term listeners listening back to uh, some of our Daredevil episodes, I did reference the the word when I made a bit of an editing snafu uh, many, many moons ago at this stage. Um, but yeah, yeah, really good. Uh, just wanted to drop in there. Obviously, we've made contact with some other podcasters this week and we want to say hi to them. A little, little shout out to the Peggy Carter podcast on Assembly of Geeks. Uh, we've had the pleasure of being on the Assembly of Geeks with our other podcast, Gotham TV podcast, about a year ago now. Uh, and the guys have done a Peggy Carter podcast for the US broadcast. That's Lauren and Amy um, over, at, over at the Assembly of Geeks podcast. You can get that on assemblyofgeeks.com. And they also join with Scott Murray. Or as Amy and Lauren Galloway are affectionately known as, Damie Jonaway. Yes, yes, that's our shipping name, which uh, Jose Molina, the writer of uh, Agent Carter, has decided to ship the guys from Defenders cast and the girls from the Peggy Carter podcast and combining the names together he suggested Damie Jonaway uh, as our combined name. And speaking of combining, with our powers combined I'm sure as well we will be um, having a joint uh, podcast as we had alluded to um, in last week's episode. Mm -hmm. So we're all looking forward to that we just need to now um, to add another uh, ship make it so as uh, (laughs) Number one said to Captain Picard. Absolutely. But, as always, um, you can find our podcast, uh, Defenders TV Podcast, looking at Agent Carter at www.defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. You can also um, search Defenders TV Podcast on any other good podcast catcher, such as Podcast Addicts, Player FM, Beyond Pod, and, of course, Stitcher as well. And again, we are on Twitter and we have Facebook. So search Defenders TV Podcast on Facebook to find us and our page and our group or at Defenders Cast on Twitter and tweet away with us, especially as it's the last episode of Agent Carter, episode eight, uh, this coming Sunday on Fox UK. 
Um, so we will be in more of a mess, actually, I think at so. the end of this. Agent Carter gone. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. not yet back. Jessica Jones not yet started. Daredevil long in the rearview mirror at the Absolutely. Moment. I wish Fantastic Four was further back, but... Um, <laughs> Maybe yeah, we did no, have no films coming up yet. We did have Ant-Man. We have the Blu-ray release of, uh, of Age of Ultron. I don't think we're going to go back and record another podcast about that, but it'll be something to watch. Absolutely. And yeah. um, all culminating in November 2016 with the release of Doctor Strange. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, one more little announcement. We are uh, we are off to New York Comic Con. I think we spoke Woo-hoo! about it. Yeah. I think we spoke the about it a couple Apple. of weeks ago, but it's... Uh, it's only, what, about 40, 45 days away now. Um, it's not that long. Not that long at all. So uh, that's on in, in October of this year, October 8th through to 11th, if my notes are correct. Um, we'll be over in New York for those uh, those four or five days. And hopefully we'll get to meet up with some of our Defenders podcast listeners and uh, our Gotham TV podcast listeners or other podcasts. Uh, and hopefully some of our Hannibal fanables um, who listen to uh, our Hannibal podcast on tvpodcastindustries.com. Yes, absolutely. So hopefully we'll release a little bit more information about maybe doing an actual meetup with uh, with people that are going to be in New York at that time. Uh, it might just be us sitting in a pub with a couple of beers, but uh, hey, we don't mind doing that. And hope- That's happened plenty of times yes. before. Yeah, Come and join us. We have no day, time or venue established at this time, yeah. but... Um, It'll make you come back and listen to the podcast exactly. again. Isn't come it? and look at our beautiful pages on Facebook, our lovely Twitter Vista mm-hmm. on Twitter, and of course, listen to our podcast and we will expose these secret dates, times and venues <laughs> where we will essentially be two men otherwise in a pub yeah. or a bar in Manhattan, drinking away merrily with ourselves, mm-hmm. um, hoping our geeky t-shirts. in our geeky t-shirts, yeah. probably with statuettes, comics, signatures, <laughs> more wristbands than you could possibly want um, after a hard, long queuing slog uh, down in the queuing area at New York Comic Con. Yeah. But everyone is more than welcome to join us talk everything Defenders, Gotham or Hannibal um, once we have arranged the time, date and venue. Exactly. Woo! Exactly. <laughs> but a couple of the little uh, little uh, bits from last week, following on from last week's episode, we uh, we did get some contact from Lindsay Allen who wrote the episode that we were speaking about last week. She said, uh, awesome guys, say lovely things about my episode. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lindsay, again. To the writers of Agent Carter, you guys have been have done a brilliant job with the series. I'm glad. I'm, I'm kind of. I'm delighted that we're getting to see the episodes. It is a bit of a pity that it's been six months late. I suppose uh, to that point, we we did get contacted by Rebecca, one of our um, one of our followers on Twitter and one of our friends, uh, who said hope that season two will be closer to the US broadcast since they now have a contract in place for season one. Uh, hopefully, we'll get a little bit a little bit closer to the US release uh, next year when it comes out. Yeah, that would be great. I think um, it's certainly been pushed on Twitter by Fox and ABC, so um, hopefully it's been a, a roaring success and they want it a bit closer to the, the season two uh, dates in, in the US and North America. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We also got Kayleen Coyne, who said episode six was her favourite episode of the show, which is really good. Thanks for that feedback, uh, Kayleen. And finally, a little bit more feedback from Amy on our podcast from last week. She says, I'll admit to being more than a little obsessed over how you two pronounce Duggan. Uh, hashtag accent crack. Um, thank you very much for that, Amy. <laughs> Having an Irish accent like myself or an English accent like John, uh, obviously 
hoping that a lot of people are enjoying listening to us. I personally think one of the main reasons why we do the podcast is because I love how John says Peggy Carter correctly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only English I speak with the Queen's English. Exactly, Peggy Carter. Otherwise, um, you can hardly distinguish my errs and errs and errs. Yeah, that was one of the disappointments from last week that John didn't say the episode title. John, indulge me. Episode title for last week. A sin to err. There you go. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> and on that note, I think it's time to get into this week's episode, into the real snafu portion yeah, of this episode. Before we snafu It ourselves. is situation normal, all failed up. Yes. Uh, this is episode 27 of the Defenders TV podcast, episode 7 of Agent Carter, only one more left to go. The episode was written by Chris Dingus, uh, who was known as being the, one of the main writers on Being Human, the American remake of that fantastic BBC show um, that we really, really liked. I don't actually think it was aired over here, um, or very late at night over here, but the American remake of Being Human, purely because we'd had four seasons of the show on one of our one of the lesser-known BBC channels, BBC Three. Um with Aidan Gillen of Hobbit fame now. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I don't think it was broadcast over here, unfortunately, but hopefully we'll get to see a couple of the episodes in the future. Um, this episode was directed by Vincent Minciano, um, who's directed six episodes of Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., so he's got some proper calibre in the SSR and the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents have to look into which ones he's done. I wonder which side of the dub smash fence he's on. <laughs> Very true, yes. I mm. presume he is probably going to have a difficult time and going to have to be uh, have to be gambling on both sides for that. Whoever wins, he wins, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what we got in this wonderful episode of Agent Carter Snafu? Peggy Carter is cornered and under interrogation by her former SSR colleagues as Agents Thompson and Sousa, along with Chief Dooley, attempt to extract all she knows about Howard Stark and Leviathan. Despite a valiant attempt by Jarvis to have Peggy released with his fake signed confession from Stark, the ruse fails, just as Peggy discovers the true identity of the enemy within, catching Ivanchenko communicating in Morse code with Underwood. However, Ivchenko already has duly conditioned to keep Carter under lock and key and to steal item 17 from the Stark weapon inventory. His parting gift to Dooley as Leviathan make their move with the stolen weapon is a highly experimental and explosively unstable vest that he is made to wear. As the SSR mistakenly zero in on Carter, Peggy reveals the truth about her own investigation to her colleagues to gain their trust and to expose Ivchenko as the true enemy. However, all is too late as the SSR pay the ultimate price for their mistake with the heroic yet tragic death of Chief Roger Dooley. R.I.P. Roger Dooley. Oh my gosh. Boo, boo hoo. And Shay Wingham, what a fantastic actor. Taken too soon. Really enjoyed enjoyed his contribution to the show. I'm sure we're going to get into into the discussion about Dooley in this episode. A very Dooley-centric episode. Overall, definitely, yeah, I'm really, uh, really well worthwhile, and really some fantastic scenes in there. And Shay Wingham, as I said, did a fantastic job. If this is your first time listening to the show, then of course remember we take five of our favourite points each from the show uh, and go through them uh, in our own excitable way uh, as we look at each episode of Agent Carter. So I think with that, Derek, what is your first point? My first point is the opening of the episode. We had mentioned mm. last week that there. Uh, there, this is the first time we've probably seen a super villain or a super powered character in the the Agent Carter universe. It's been a lot, a very grounded show, apart from the mentions, obviously, of Captain America, who hasn't actually appeared in the show. Um, 
there's a big one here uh, that we kind of missed out on. We, we The reference we made last week was that it could possibly be a, a superpower character, but we got confirmation this week that Dr. Ivchenko is in fact Dr. Faustus from the Marvel comics. Uh, he's referred to by his character name um, from the comic books, which is Johan Fenhoff. Um, he is called to as Dr. Fenhoff. So it is definitely the same character from the comic books. Uh, what I think is really interesting is now that I've I've obviously seen it and did a little bit of research into it. Uh, what's interesting is they took so much of the character that we could have worked this out if we'd been paying a little more attention to it. Uh, so well done uh, for hiding that from us, I suppose. Uh, the character of Dr. Faustus is based on um, a play by Christopher Marlowe called The Tragical History of Dr. Faustus, uh, in which that character, uh, being dissatisfied with his studies of medicine, law, logic and theology, decides to turn to magic. So very similar to this character of Dr. Ivanchenko, um, he is essentially at the beginning of this episode, he is a doctor who's dealing with patients. And by the end of the episode, he's using magic to control other people. So uh, quite an interesting concept there. Um, this scene itself at the beginning of the episode where he essentially uses his power to numb the, the poor kid who's uh, been injured in war. Um, this scene takes place before he's been converted to Leviathan. So we saw the uh, in one of the earlier episodes, he's converted to Leviathan. Um, it, this scene actually takes place much earlier in his timeline. He is just someone who's working essentially uh, with the medics uh, during the war. Uh, quite interesting. Another character affected by World War II, um, like Dr. Faustus. Very interesting. In comic books, uh, in the Marvel Universe, he's definitely a Captain America villain. And he's known to drive people to commit suicide, essentially. So I uh, thought that was quite interesting. Definitely something we saw in last week's episode with... Um, with another one of our lost characters, Agent Yoke, who got knocked over by a truck at the suggestion of what I'm now going to be calling Dr. Faustus from now on. Um, he's very much involved with Sharon Carter and Peggy Carter in the comic books. So a couple of instances with Peggy Carter, but definitely with Sharon Carter, who is, I think she's actually been in uh, been in Captain America Winter Soldier, the, the actress who's now playing Sharon Carter, another bit of a love interest for Captain America. Uh, but yeah, definitely involved in the Captain America universe and has been, been around for many, many years. So I thought it was really interesting to see a character so steeped in Marvel history, I suppose, um, someone that's been around for decades and is definitely a Captain America foe being brought in in this way into Peggy Carter. Did a great job, I think. Absolutely. And played by Ralph Brown, who, again, is a, a British actor, but has been in The Great uh, With Nail and I. That's right. And was also in Alien 3. Um mm as one of the prisoners mm -hmm. and has also been in Phantom Menace as well. So, um, you know, he's done a lot of work and he plays um, Ivchenko really, really well. I mean, I actually think um, I loved some of the the dream sequences or dreamscapes. It's one of my points that I might as well bring in now, yeah. which is I love how they did his dream sequences and the dreamscapes that he puts his um, unwitting sort of uh, victims into. Yeah. Um, how he's, you know, he's there soothing words, positive words, but always in control, always making sure that they know they listen to him, you know, that, that directing his voice. Um, and I, I love that. I love the way, like with the, the flashback to Russia in 1943 during the height of World War II on the, the Eastern Front, but also as well with Chief Dooley. Mm. I love how the, these dream sequences are there and he is in them, but it is ignored by everyone else. 
But then the other aspect of it that I really enjoyed was how, in in terms of the the, the Russian, the young Russian uh, soldier, and with Dooley, they make reference to things outside of that dreamscape that he is putting them into. Yeah. Um, whilst they're in it, so I think the Russian soldier goes. Um, what are those people doing? And there's all, all of a sudden in this outdoor scene, there's these nurses and wounded people being ferried around. And yeah. Ignore them. And I think Chief Dooley then makes reference to why are you over by the window? You know, you don't, you shouldn't be over by the window. Th- these these disjointed, disconnected um, situations that are occurring in reality yeah. uh, make their way through into this dreamscape. It's, it's kind of either they're fighting it or it's just that he's not as powerful as you know he he can't remove everything from reality within their minds yeah so i really liked that i loved how that was done it kind of it added to his power by showing sort of its limitations in a way or or making sure that it it brought the reality and the dreamscape together in this one scene. I thought it was a fascinating way of doing it, and I really liked it, actually. Oh, so well put together. <clears throat> really, really good. And yeah, as you say, uh, I loved when, well, I guess it's, it's Private Ovechki is the, the kid at the beginning, essentially. Uh, I love that he's starting to fight it. It's not, that he's, it's not that he's fighting anything. He doesn't know that he's being controlled, but he knows he shouldn't be in this situation in you know playing chess with his mom pre-war. He shouldn't be as involved in this. He knows he's still in the uh, in the tent in the medic's tent essentially that's why he's seeing bits of it with Dooley he's just been told there's something wrong he's told that Ivchenko is communicating with somebody across the street so he knows he shouldn't be near the window so that's breaking in from the other side while he's being controlled while he's being told to focus on the wedding ring uh, really fascinating and really well filmed definitely and I think the great thing about Dooley's dreams as well is just that it connects him to his family you, you know you meet his wife you meet his kids and up till now, you haven't seen them, but you've known they're not necessarily in the best of place with regards to their marriage. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, you actually see that his wife's not a monster, neither is he. It's just maybe things aren't working out or he's too busy at the SSR. Yeah. And I, I loved how it also helped ground Dooley into a human being, not just Peggy's boss, so that actually when he does what he does at the end... Mm. It actually really magnifies the deed because you know that he's leaving behind a wife and two kids. Yeah. Uh, and no matter how bad or rocky that relationship has been, he has tried to help and to bring it back on track. And he actually thought that Dr. Ivanchenko, who's using that um, weakness of him at that moment to get under his skin or more more appropriately into his brain to get into his brain and to condition him and to hypnotize him and to use that to his own advantage that you know that's him being violated as well and if chenko gave him the vest and as to if chenko's menace uh, as well and yeah. it's a really nice way a nice vehicle uh, for doing that i think Definitely, definitely. I'm really going to obviously as well be saying Ivchenko and Ivanchenko loads here in this episode. Probably. There might be a little a little editing snafu uh, if I leave one of those in. But if it is... It's just sorry. a verbal snafu from my part, <laughs> but I do apologise now. I've just realised I'm Ivanchenkoing, I'm Ivchenkoing, I'm doing the 
Cossack dance. Go my way and just go for Dr. Faustus. He's been confirmed now. He's also reading the book, Dr. Faustus. The actual uh, the actual book does make an appearance at the beginning of the being the show. So so we can just use that as his name if you if you prefer from Ivchenko. But I think that can lead me on to my second point. So I'm just going to sort of jump ahead of the queue here a bit. Swoop in. Swoop in. And that is the death of Dooley. Um, This was a big emotional punch for me. I'm sorry to see him go. I think, um, you know, he was heroic. Um, Jumping out the window so that neither his colleagues nor the public... Um, are, are hurt it was a heroic deed from someone who you know has had his issues with Peggy who we have discussed you know from a character point of view as as being a bit chauvinistic um, and maybe not realising the true worth of Peggy as a colleague and a co-worker yeah. and now you know gradually he has thawed on, on, on that front he has given her more responsibility she did go to the Leviathan and training facility. Mm. You know, he was ready to listen to her and to give her her fair dues until he then realised that they had been used to betray him. And then you see him turn. But nonetheless, you know, you've kind of gone through the the lows, the lows and the highs and the highs of of Chief Dooley. Yeah, uh, and to see how he took the fact that he was wearing. Uh, you know, a stark invention like that uh, and said, just go after them. You find them to Peggy Carter uh, and sort of runs. And I mean, that was just cool. Him running and firing the gun at the window. I thought it was very Terminator 2 um, oh, yes. <laughs> to an extent. Um, and I really, really liked it. And I, I liked what he did for, you know, um, for his colleagues and for the SSR. I thought I thought it was a really heroic thing. And... Um, yeah, it was brilliant. I'm just really sad as well to see like this character go. Then, yeah, um, you know, and I do like that Jarvis and Peggy kind of talk about it. And Peggy goes, "That's my fault." And Jarvis is very much, "No, it's it's Howard Stark's fault." Yeah, and really kind of pointed by Jarvis. I thought, I really thought that was an interesting comment from Jarvis. Definitely, definitely uh, about this scene. Obviously, it's the biggest scene that we've that we've watched since the beginning of the season. Uh, I think. It was definitely unexpected for me. I wasn't, I, I don't know, and I seem to have been able to avoid the spoilers for the last couple of months about the fact that we may have lost Dooley. But apparently this was in the original original first draft and when they went through the whole casting process that this character was going to die by the end of the season. This was always the case. He was never going to leave season one, essentially. Uh, very similar to a big character in Daredevil. Um, there was definitely that piece, which I'm not going to spoil in case some of our listeners haven't watched Daredevil or listened to our podcasts about it, um, but it was definitely a, a piece that was that was there from the beginning, um, and I didn't see it. I didn't see that it was going to be coming. I thought he was just going to be the put-upon boss who starts to get uh, to know Peggy better and then gives her more responsibility, and they do have that great scene where he does say, as you, as you said, he does say to her um, directly, I want you to look after this and I want you to essentially get revenge for my death, the Avenge Me speech. Um, so he is definitely giving her more responsibility. But what adds to this this moment for me is the flashback scenes that you talked about in your previous point. Um, because there's a great moment when he's sitting at home with his wife and family that I absolutely thought was Dooley's, Dooley has found a way out of this and has gone home to his wife and family yeah, early. I thought so too. Yeah, and the, the conversation he has with his wife, essentially, which is, I just want to come home. Can I come home? It's a really sad 
moment, especially when you realize he is asleep on his desk and is about to die. Uh, he's realized that in his head, and this is just another moment for him speaking to his wife, the one person he just didn't get the chance to speak to and didn't get yeah. the chance to open his world. Like to. It's really tragic yeah. and sad because he wants to say those things to her and will never get the opportunity to. Yeah. And it's it's even, you know, when, when Peggy shouts, get the scientists um, to get the, the jacket and to get the vest off him as mm-hmm. it's glowing and becoming more orange. Like you do actually think that they are going to get it off and he's going to get saved and, and maybe the jacket's going to get chucked out the window, not with him in it. Um, and I, I mean, that's that's the thing. I, I love that. It, it breaks what you would expect to see or what maybe doubters or, or really harsh critics would maybe think would happen. And yeah. um, this to me was like really good uh, TV. Um, I also thought, that vest would be really snug in a harsh winter as well. <laughs> it looked really toasty. I mean, you know, he's developing the sweat. You've got the orange glow on his neck. I mm-hmm. mean, they say he's starting to burn. Um, maybe not that toasty, but, yeah. you know. If you could just turn it down a notch, yeah. uh, I think it'd be a bit better for going skiing, maybe, when you're up a really high mountain. It would be really snug for about 15 minutes, and then the snow would start to melt around you. Yeah. So it was a really great um, kind of... I would say fitting ending for yeah. him if he's going to have that ending. Yeah. yeah. And I do love how they tied the SSR together as well. You had Thompson, you had Peggy on one side, and then you still had Sousa on the other side investigating Dottie, uh, essentially, but he's looking out of the window as Dooley comes towards him and the explosion happens. I think it's really good that you see all of the SSR witness this. It's not like somebody has to tell Sousa what happened because he was out he's seen what's happened from across the street, which I thought was really well tied together. And just earlier in the episode as well, he, you know, he's been pretty sort of mindful when he's informed that a- uh, Agent Yauch had, had died as well. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Both at the hands of Ivchenko. Mm-hmm. Dr. Faust is killing people all around mm. him. Oh, good. So what's your next point, Derek? Uh, my next point is something we don't normally call out, weirdly, even though it's present in every single episode. The music for this episode is fantastic. There's a really, really good score going on in here. Um, the score for the series was, taken, was done by Christopher Lennertz, um, who did the theme tune for the show. He also did the score, uh, I believe. It's quite difficult to find out exactly who did it. But um, there are two specific scenes in the episode that have fantastic music. I know you're going to talk about one of them in a mo. Um, but the other one for me is when the, the I suppose when Dottie gets away um, from Sousa um, and from Thompson. There's a great piece of music that really feels of the era, really feels of the good crime drama of the 40s and 50s. You know that that kind of time. Um, really good job. I just wanted to call it out. It was it was really worked this this week. Yeah. No. I I thought the music. Uh, was great this week. It, it really chimed, pardon the pun, uh, with me. But um, in particular, and this is kind of, I suppose, my third point really, and what I want to bring in the music is the the interrogation, the interview um, of Peggy Carter by Thompson, Susan and Dooley. Mm. And there's um, violin strings over this going between the, the, the three different interviewers and obviously then with with Peggy Carter and, and it feels like something from a, a, a Hitchcock or that era type of film it's very high strings the the melody the harmony of it all just works so well with this um this really really good 
uh, interrogation scene of Peggy Carter, and I absolutely uh, loved it, where you have Agent Thompson coming in going, I'm confused. Agent Sousa comes in and goes, I'm sick in relation to Krasminski uh, and the death of him. And you have then Dooley coming in and saying, I'm impressed. And all three of her former colleagues having different ideas. You have Thompson, who knows what she did in Russia and who um, essentially helped him combat his nerves and so on out in the field. He says, you saved my life, yeah. Yeah, he goes... There's something that's not right here. You have Sousa, who, in a sense, has been eyeing Peggy Carter as someone who he fancies he might ask out. And that betrayal to him were, is kind of focused around Krasminski and the death of Agent Krasminski. And he says, it's a great line, I attended that performance. You know, he just sees her as false at this stage. Yeah, And then... Um, we come to Dooley, who says, I'm impressed. And he just says how there are men out there who um, would love to play the game half as well as you. Like, there's a real admiration there. And there's three different tacks, in a sense, yeah. techniques coming at her. And, and still she doesn't break. And I just thought um, it was a really good scene. It's one of those scenes that comes together and is just great it's spot on and i loved it i loved how it did that and i I think it it also then goes into i think what you're going to talk about is peggy's response yeah i also just love how that scene is put together particularly daniel souza and his reaction to this it's so obvious it's so honest it's so it's so guttural um enver uh who plays the character uh, was in a TV show called Dollhouse, which I absolutely loved, uh, in which pretty much every episode he played a completely different character right up until yeah, the end really of the show. Good. And brilliant. And you can really see why he got the role in that show, another Joss Whedon joint, uh, if we can call it that. But you can really see why he got the part in that show because he is brilliant at playing emotions just with uh, just with a flick of the head or just the way his eyes move, the stance that he has. You can tell he is totally downtrodden at the idea that he's been looking at Peggy as being the person he's had had her back. This isn't an interrogation for him. This is an opportunity for him to tell her how he really feels about what she's done to the SSR and what she's done to him. I think that's really interesting. And he plays it so well. Thompson, again, I didn't really expect Thompson's reaction here. He just doesn't understand. He doesn't understand why she can play this dual role. He knows there's something wrong here. He's figured it out that this isn't. They're obviously chasing the wrong girl because he knows what she's really like. Uh, he's seen her. She's saved his life. She knows her work with the Helen Commandos. He knows she wouldn't turn on the SSR. So there's obviously something else wrong. And he'll go off and investigate that further, probably. He's a good investigator. He gets it. But then you got Dooley, who's just finally realized what the treasure that he has and hasn't paid any attention to. Um, she is the one that that knows how to play everybody around her in his head. Uh, she's the one that's been able to to do every do everything under under their noses, really. Um, and he's never realised that. That's why he's so impressed. Just a really well put together scene, definitely. Which leads me on to my point, um, which is the reactions again, the fallout from this. Is Peggy explaining to them what they what what she's done? Um, she basically says, "I didn't lie to any of you. I'm only." basically overthrowing what you thought I was. She says that essentially I'm nothing more than what you created of me. She says to Thompson essentially that I'm a secretary in your mind turned into a damsel in distress. To Sousa she says I'm that girl on the pedestal that's turned into some kind of whore. 
um, which is another great reaction from Ember when she says the word horror, where it's instantly, oh, women shouldn't be saying words like that. A great, <laughs> yeah. little, great little moment from him. And then she says to Dooley that for you, I was just a kitten left on your doorstep to protect, and that's how you looked at me. Um, she comes back to it a bit later on in the episode with another fantastic line again, where she says, unless I have your reports, your coffee or your lunch, I'm invisible in this organization, which allowed me to do what I wanted to do and allowed me to do this investigation right under your noses. Brilliant moments showing the strength of the character and really well delivered and really well written. Yeah, and also the weaknesses of the men. I mean, I love the fact that she essentially tells them that I could conduct this whole investigation without you realizing because um, whatever I say, you don't listen to me. And nobody looks and truly looks at me to see exactly what I'm doing. And yeah, she makes the point as long as I have the files, the coffee, and the lunch at the right time, the right moment, in the right order, no one bats an eyelid. Um, And I I love that, you know, even when she is being interrogated, her mind is still on the case, and she goes, you know, you shouldn't be after me, you should be after Dottie Underwood. You had her in your grasp when you arrested me, and I love just, you know, this is shoddy police work. A little shoddiness um, is is always good. It really, <laughs> it really deep. makes the point that you're not really doing this very well. Absolutely, because she's essentially just pointed out to them that they have a tool just as valuable uh, on their side as valuable to Leviathan as Dottie is. They've got that tool and have just been ignoring her for the last whatever it is now three four weeks that she's been working with them um it's quite interesting isn't it that essentially dotty is going under the radar for exactly the same reason she's just playing off the innocence role she's the blonde-haired bimbo to everybody around her when in fact she's a master spy who's killed five people i think at this stage um in 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 considerably bigger ways every time um yeah and uh, and they have that on their side. They have Peggy, who was in war, fought side by side with the Helen Commandos and uh, is working in their office, carrying, carrying around their coffee and getting them lunch. Um, yeah, so I like I like the contrast between those two characters. Yeah, you know? yeah. Really good. Um, John, what's your next point? I think um, my next point has to be Dottie, the pram, and the parkour. Um, oh, wow. Taking three points, I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's all one. It, it's the DPP. Um, you know, it's Dottie Underwood. You know, she's transformed. She's here. She's not that innocent-looking um, Dottie from the Griffith Hotel. You know, she looks very sophisticated with her hat. Um, she's off buying a pram, and you're wondering, what's that for? I immediately thought back to the, the, the remake of uh, Battlestar Galactica, the first episode where you had the Cylon with the pram Ooh, wow. um, and so on. I don't know, really, you know, <laughs> this isn't going to end well uh-huh. um, for anyone close to that pram, of course, which we, we see, um, you know, it all links into item 17, this weapon from the Stark um, weapons stash that she was trying to recover when she, presumably it was her, that um, flirted with Howard Stark and, and stole all the the weapons from the vault. Yeah. But um, you have that, you have that pram and what happens in the cinema then right at the end, which is like the rage gas or something from... Um, I don't know, uh, 28 days. days later. Yeah, yeah. yeah from, I thought that. <laughs> from 28 days later, you know, the, the zombie rage flick from Danny Boyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a really great scene in, in the offices 
opposite the SSR where she had killed the dentist, and that dentist is still sort of rotting away. It is gradually getting musty and moldy and yeasty, probably. Flies buzzing around. Yeah, flies everywhere. But I love the fact that she gets trapped in there. And There's two parts of this that I just thought was great, great. Um, Whether it's screenplay, acting, all and, and and both, when she walks out the office thinking that the coast is clear, or pretending that she's just walking out, and she looks down at the the shadows on the floor, and she sees um, Agent Sousa's shadow with the gun, and then she looks back up. Just her expression on her face that she is doing that, and she is mindful as a trained assassin, a, a trained spy would do. I really liked that. I thought it was great little um, touches that just elevated what she was doing as she just simply walked along the corridor yeah. so it was really really good and yeah. uh, you know that was picked up in the editing and, and, and the camera work as well yeah, and that, I, I presume in her head she's making the decision as to whether she can get past this person by using the dotty underwood haha <laughs> I don't know where I am I'm a little bit lost in the building kind of conversation or whether she can just become the spy and kill whoever it is that's exactly waiting. Yeah. Um, and she realises that the game is up you know that this person has their gun drawn so She's going to try and take him out. Sousa survives, ultimately. But then you have the the parkour kind of oh, yeah. jumping between the handrails all the way down the, the stairwell to the bottom. And she takes out one of the agents, you know, agent down. Just great. This character is awesome. Oh, Just she's so truly good. awesome. She's so good. That, that scene particularly of, of her going down the going down the stairs on the inside uh, really reminded me of the scene in Captain America Winter Soldier with, um, with Natasha. Uh, Romanoff, um, Scarlett Johansson's character, as she goes down the inside of the ship. Do you remember that scene where she's jumping down um, platform to platform yeah. inside, essentially? It's very, very similar. And again, this just underlines the fact that Dottie is an, is a Black Widow. She's trained in the same kind of place as Natasha Romanoff's character is. She's yeah. definitely a Black Widow as well. She's the precursor. And seeing 1940s parkour is fantastic. <laughs> really, really cool. Uh, really good scene, definitely. Again, another male agent underestimating, mm-hmm. unaware of the dangers of this trained female assassin. Really, really good. Absolutely, yeah. Really, really good. Derek, what's your next point? My next one is definitely Jarvis. Absolutely loving Jarvis in this, coming to Peggy's rescue. Um, not that she asked for it, no. um, but he does try his best, uh, saying that he's got a signed confession of Howard in a briefcase. But I love it. I love how he interacts with the characters around him, particularly the girls in the uh, in the phone desk uh, as he walks in through the door you know he says he's been there before he's been in here for interrogation can he not just let him let him in to see Captain Dooley you know very very matter of fact kind of way of dealing with it um, but a really great reaction just a nice little touch that's in there of uh, the the lead operator lead phone operator who reaches under the desk to grab yeah. her gun uh, great little moment but there's another brilliant touch in there as he mentions that he's got a signed confession from Howard Stark in there about half of the girls, I think, that are that are on the desk. Um, yes, just, great. They kind of go, ooh, he mentioned Howard Stark, which I think is quite interesting. You can see them all swoon yes. at the very mention of his name. Yeah, exactly. It's very cool. But another half of them are still on their guard. I would presume they are more the Peggy Carter types, the trained operatives. 
Um, and of course, yeah. he thinks he's Jimmy Cagney Absolutely. as well. Um, like, I love, again, <laughs> it's the interaction does. between the two characters where Carter, Peggy Carter is like, you've been in custody for less than an hour and you think you're Jimmy Cagney. It's mm-hmm. like, get a grip, Absolutely. man. Get a grip. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, yeah. Really good. But yeah, I love that, again, he's bringing in, he's trying to save Peggy. She does give the reaction of, I didn't ask you to, essentially. Um, and it turns out that, yes, he's been faking it. Um an interesting point here. This is a big lie from Jarvis, and we know that when Jarvis lies, he touches his ear. Yeah, he doesn't do it in this episode at all, does he? So I didn't spot it. Yeah, actually. I didn't. I, I we had mentioned. I knew you'd be after that one. I, I know. Knew you'd be looking at. I it. was looking for it. I was looking for it because we did mention back in that episode to have a big tick like you that. You mentioned. I did. Yeah. I did. I, in fairness, I didn't spot it now. Yeah, but I wasn't looking. I did mention that I was going to be looking for it. So I have to make the point. I have to call out myself when I when I say it. Uh, now, very much so, obviously, since it's been pointed out to him and pointed out how obvious it is by Peggy, it's possible that he changed the tick and doesn't have the tick anymore because he's because he's been it's been pointed out to him. But I do like that he does that. Well, I suppose. Well, he's I not a stupid character. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is true. So he, he is told an obvious um, giveaway by Peggy from a previous episode he learns and makes modifications and doesn't do it again. Exactly. I love how you put it. Very good. <laughs> um, but again, obviously, the fun part about, about this is that it does fail. Um, this is a fate confession that he wrote himself. Uh, it's a big lie. He thinks Dooley's a bit stupider than he is, but clearly Dooley is a smart character. He's not an idiot. He basically says to him that, that well, you're not getting released out of here until Harrod Stark is on my doorstep, and then we'll then we'll release you. Definitely, there's no problem. We don't need you. We're looking for Harrod Stark, obviously. Um, and it gets Agent Carter kicked out of the SSR. She's gone now. Yeah. Um, there's no saving of of her career, which is pretty huge. That's a big minor moment, really. I mean, a big big moment, but ends up being minor. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. It's, it's kind of could be overwritten now by obviously the death of Dooley. Um, I'm not too sure whether it matters next week when everybody's going to be trying to track down his killer. Um, in next week's episode, whether it matters that Peggy's working for them or with them uh, anymore. Yeah, I know what you mean. But I do like Jarvis's reaction when Peggy confronts him as to why he wrote the confession and he says, well, panic was involved, which I thought, <laughs> yes. was, thought was quite funny. Uh, but yeah, a really good episode and a, a really good moment, I think, of the episode. And of course, always having a moment of levity with with Jarvis uh, in the episode is, is definitely wa- warranted. This is quite a heavy episode of the episodes we've seen. Nice, a nice moment to have Jarvis come in. A little bumbly, a little shambly, but heart in the right place. Um, but yeah, really good. Yeah, and I mean, an interesting line given by by Peggy Carter, actually, that had me wondering was, she, she says, um, I think it, as he is saying that he has essentially faked this signed confession and they're, they're kind of in the, the boardroom. Mm. And um, she goes, have you ever been hanged, Jarvis? And he's like, no. And she replies with, it's quite unpleasant. And I had, I had the, I wrote in my notes, so has Peggy been hanged? You no. know, <laughs> was she captured and put on trial and essentially to be executed? And uh, that was the judgment and was saved, you know, as she's hanging there, you Maybe. know, heroic save by the Howling Commandos or something like that. Which is a very interesting um, comment that she says is it's quite unpleasant mm-hmm. as though she, it just the way it was done. It sounded like she had experienced it. Yes. Rather than simply knowing that something like that would be unpleasant, given what's involved. It seemed more than simply knowing that being hanged is not going to be a nice thing you know it seemed like she had experienced it because you know she 
she um, prefaces it with, have you ever been hanged, Joel? It's as though that's something that he would happen. That's the way I took it. It probably isn't that at all, but I just thought that was a really um, sort of quirky little conversation that was put in there, and it kind of got me thinking, well, has she been hanged? She could well have been if she was ever captured. Yeah, I, I see flashback for season two potential here and another appearance by the Helen Commandos, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> and on that point, John, what's your final point? My final point um, is kind of a bit of a comedic element as well. It's the one, two, three gag, the one, two, three oh, weight yes. gag. A real sort of, I felt like a British kind of humour from that era. Um, real just that slapstick element to it to an extent. Yeah, um, like a carry-on or on the buses. Yeah, kind of it was the classic, you know, one, two, three, wait. And it's just then, what? You know, Peggy's like, what? What? What is it? He says, other people behind that glass, you know, will they get hurt? And she goes, well, there'll be a spray of glass. Mm-hmm. So they might do. And then it's like, one, two, three, and it's like, wait again. And again, well, if there's people behind that glass, you know, well, they have guns. And she goes, well, they might do. And in which case, we might get hurt because there'll be a spray of bullets. <laughs> and then it's like, um, you know, bang, third and final time, one, two, three, smash through the glass. And then it's that kind of the look as they go, we're still attached to the table. We're still handcuffed <laughs> together. And well, it's just a really nice little comedy moment that I just thought was like sweet. It was, yeah. it was cool. I, I really liked it. And again, I like the, the reaction from Thompson as he walks into the room going, what's going on here? Basically, they've, all, they've, all they've actually accomplished is they've smashed a window with a table. That's all they've accomplished. They didn't escape because of it. They made a bit more noise and that's why Thompson comes. But the intention was obviously to escape the way you would. A nice little moment. Really good fun. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of a sketch that say the two Ronnies would have done or something <laughs> like that or... I know, maybe Morecambe and Wise. I mean, for anyone listening from America, they're two really big um, sort of British double acts from sort of the 70s, certainly 60s, 70s. The heyday would have been 70s, early 80s, definitely, I think. Really good. Um, I would definitely watch a a Peggy and Jarvis show just like that, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) The Peggy Jarvis show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The two runnies. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. See, you're pitching it already, John. Well done. I know. <laughs> but yeah, love that. Love that moment. Just a really light touch. Again, as you say, in a in a relatively uh, deep episode, mm-hmm. um, especially with regards to Dooley. Yeah. Derek, what's your um, fifth and final point? I'm going to end on, on one of those big moments. I know we did slightly talk about it, but the cinema... My gosh, that was a huge moment. Uh, didn't expect to see that after the death of Dooley. I think I was kind of expecting that that's where the credits would roll. Uh, wasn't expecting that we would see exactly what Dottie was going to do with that, uh, with that stolen piece of stolen piece of equipment and the uh, baby carriage that he, that she got. Uh, but leaving it in a cinema for everybody to kill each other um, was fantastic. What a moment! Like. It's something out of a horror film, you know. I know that this when people cough in the cinema in front of me or talk in front of me during the during the <laughs> trailers for a new movie, you know. It, sometimes I want to give them a punch, but um, but yeah, that that escalated pretty quickly. Do you really want to give them a punch? Well, when they're talking on their mobiles, yes, and when they're texting in the cinema, daps, absolutely. That's why I'm so glad why that TV's getting so good, so I don't have to go to the cinema as often anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, texters and talkers on mobiles um would. 
probably incite a bit of violence, but it didn't seem like that. It's not the gas did it in this case. Uh, but I do like there is a reaction from a member of the audience when he starts hearing the coughing around him. He doesn't think there's anything wrong. He just thinks everybody's coughing at the same time to ruin his movie experience. Yeah, exactly. You know? I wonder if he's the first person that turned and got the rage virus, uh, I suppose. But yeah, another, another really well put together scene. And again, I, I don't know whether it's the writing or the direction of the episode, but there's something slightly different in the way that it's been put together uh, this episode. And um, particularly the fact that you don't see a huge amount of the violence, you see a little bit of the kind of push and shoving and a couple of weird, a couple of punches, um, particularly between the couple who were kissing just beforehand. You see them punch each other. Um, but then it cuts to outside and you have the couple who who are kind of arguing about not having to pay for parking. Luckily, they didn't pay for parking <laughs> and found free parking. But I love that that's the I take reveal. that all back, she says. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I love that that's the reveal of the cinema is essentially as they walk up, the usher opens the door realizes they shouldn't it shouldn't be locked with a piece of metal but um shows the two of them in and and that's how they see the scene essentially they walk in from the back and see all these people killed uh, in the room and essentially fade to black over the uh the fantastic scream horror movie moment this would be yeah. how, how one of the scream movies would open really with the wide open scream and really well done i love the usher there just for that just for that scream she's got a great career coming up in the, as a scream queen i think yeah it was a nice little horror moment i reckon yeah definitely definitely so looking forward to next week i think yeah the last episode uh, really looking forward to it definitely yeah do you have any notes in this episode john i do um <clears throat> i have sort of a notes on trust actually i really i like the idea in this episode that if Chenko had built the trust with Dooley uh, around his marriage and so on. And I like the idea then that um, Agent Carter, obviously having spotted that if Chenko is doing the Morse code or on the windowsill, essentially seeks to gain the trust of her colleagues mm. again by essentially telling them everything that she's done, yeah. absolutely everything. Um, and I love the fact then that she persuades Sousa um, just purely because of the connection with the Steve Rogers blood and yep. so on. And I like the fact that Dooley still doesn't trust her, um, but he trusts Sousa's gut. There's some really nice elements here that sort of bring these people all together. Yeah. Um, and I even like, um, you know, Dooley kind of really shows he doesn't trust her at least not anymore, when he says, you know, forgive me if I don't get all pissy-eyed over your story. Again, it just it's a really harsh kind of retort to what she's just done. But you can see why it's justified at that moment. Um, and even with the, the blood of Steve Rogers, he has a great line, and oh, I do yeah. think it's one of his really good lines, where he says, does this implode, explode, or spice up an old fashion? Like, <laughs> it's, it's just really good. <laughs> really good yeah. line, isn't it? Really, really nice. Um, and again, I think this is another good aspect of uh, Chief Dooley that came out in this episode. And I, I love that whole little section as well, um, all around trust between him and Peggy, Peggy and her colleagues, Sousa, and Peggy and obviously then Sousa and, and Dooley. Yeah. And ultimately Dooley at that moment trusts Sousa's gut above Peggy's story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Derek, have you got any more notes? Uh, just a couple of little ones. Um, I, I like the fact that Jarvis has also uh, recognised what the Morse code is, and he's decoded it as well. So getting to see a little bit of Jarvis's background in uh, in the military. So um, just a little bit more of a connection between the two characters than we've seen in the past. That was really good. And one little moment, and it's a real throwaway line uh, about the about Captain America or Steve Rogers' blood. Um, there's a really throwaway line, but it actually is a little bit of a, a tear crept to my eye as uh, as Peggy says that the reason she was looking for it was because she wanted a second chance at keeping at keeping him safe, at keeping poor little Steve Rogers, which is still who he is in her mind, the the young man who's um, who ran straight for battle essentially without thinking of any danger to himself, and that's what uh, that's the relationship she has with him. A nice little moment where she says. Uh, I just wanted one more opportunity to keep him safe now that he's gone. Um, yeah. yeah, it's really exposing herself to to these three lads, essentially. Absolutely. Because she feels she has to, and she knows she has to. Again, it's that trust element. Yeah, really good. Um, love, really liked that whole little section yeah. of this episode. Yeah. So, Derek, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter. Oh, what a fantastic episode of Agent Carter. My gosh, really, really good. Just so much going on. Still, we're, we're, we're cracking through the episodes, and I wish this was a 22-episode season, uh, even a 13-episode season, because I can't believe we only have one more left to go. Um, the loss of Dooley is a pretty huge moment. Uh, I think he's been a really good actor anyway. Um, the character, obviously, is a really good character. You don't love him. Uh, throughout the season so far but he's tended to be very fair kind of character around Peggy he's tended to look upon her as a capable person but not someone he put in the front lines you know as he mentioned before if you lose her then he's the man that got a woman killed Um, if you give her too much responsibility and somebody else dies then he's the one that gave the responsibility to a woman and she's the one that caused caused somebody to lose their life and so he's not you know he's not progressive by any means but he definitely understood that she had um, good characteristics and definitely understood that she had a, a place and a purpose and by the end of this episode he's absolutely realised her place he's become impressed with her understands who she is and unfortunately makes the heroic sac- sacrifice so a fantastic episode from start to finish I think I, I, I can't say much more than that it's the highest highest of defends for me definitely so John do you defend this episode of Agent Carter I do defend this episode of Agent Carter I think it is a really strong episode one of the strongest uh, from the season so far and for that I give it 4.5 dotty death prams out of 5 <laughs> um, I really like this I mean ultimately at, the, at its heart is the death of a colleague of Chief Dooley that emotionally brings together all of the SSR under trying times as the enemy that's been within has been corrupting that same uh, family of the SSR um, attacks Dooley by way of his own private family. And for me, it's just really good in, in that and how it deals with it. Um, you know, you have betrayal, you have confusion, you have the issues of trust, you have um, all these emotions running around. Um, and then at the same time, you have a real menace um, the in Dottie oh, yeah. uh, and Ivchenko. Mm-hmm. Um, Progressing their plans, not getting caught, and being quite methodical. Really, really good. Um, And then, obviously, some really nice uh, moments as well between Peggy Carter and Jarvis as well, which 
are always strong, that's always specific. good. Um, so for me, that's why I give it 4.5 um, Dossie Death Prams out of 5. Is It's one of the strongest emotional episodes of this season, mm. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think with that, we've got some final little snippets of feedback that we want to give a, a shout out. We did some earlier on in the episode, but we've got a few final uh, bits of feedback and comments and thoughts on Agent Carter that we want to share with you that we've gotten in through Twitter. Yep, absolutely. Um, so Rebecca says uh, last night's episode was definitely a cry episode. Um, so she was able to get to watch it in time this week and, uh, and was was crying with the rest of us, I think. Um, Lauren says the whole episode was so intense, but that ending passes the tissues next week. Get ready to be blown away. Uh, thanks, Lauren, and thanks for keeping the Absolutely. spoilers for next week away. I reached out to Christopher Dingus, uh, who wrote the episode, and said, uh, oh, Jesus, Dingus, what did you do to this to us for this episode? You've made us cry. He said, I did what I do. That's essentially, that's <laughs> essentially what he said. Uh, so thanks very much for that, Chris. Absolutely. Um, and finally, I said, well, what an ending to that episode. Can the, can the writers make us cry anymore? Lauren says, get ready for the finale. Cry emoticons. I think she used every single crying emoticon I've ever seen on Twitter. Uh, and Amelia says, this question is a dangerous question. The answer is yes dot 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 hugs so thanks very much for that amelia uh, we will probably need your hugs at the end of the next episode if that's anything to go by uh, if you want to send in your feedback make sure you email us at feedback at defenders tv podcast.com we read back read out any comments that we receive obviously uh, you can follow us on twitter at defenders cast um, make sure you uh, you keep up with us we will obviously be live tweeting the finale episode next week uh, and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes if you're in iTunes or in any good podcast catcher go and get Defenders TV Podcast yes uh, for our last Agent Carter review of episode 8 yeah yeah. but there's tons of content out there as we mentioned earlier on we are also podcasting about Hannibal which John does with our friend Irene um, and we're podcasting about Gotham which returns in the next couple of weeks so we're, we also cover the DC universe on that podcast and we've covered Daredevil the Netflix series for this podcast so you can find them all if you go to tvpodcastindustries.com there are links to all of our shows through that website or you can go to the individual websites gothamtvpodcast.com for our DC universe podcast as we mentioned DefendersTVPodcast.com for the Marvel podcasts and those reviews and movies and over to TV Podcast Industry for at the moment all the links plus a, an exclusive series over there which is Hannibal yep absolutely again thank you so much for listening and of course I'll be all teary and blow my nose on handkerchiefs oh, it'll be a disaster for the sound editing uh, <laughs> next week but that, that, well, that could be a big snafu yeah. Then. yeah and then a big tissue <laughs> Anyway, on that dreadful joke from me, uh, it's good night from me. And it's good night from him. Good night. Good night. <laughs>